Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. I can't tell you how excited I am for today's guest, Dr. Aviva Ram. I've been following her work and consuming pretty much everything she puts out into the world for at least the last couple years, including participating twice in her 28-day Women's Gut Reset, as she's the go-to expert in women's health and especially hormonal health. Dr. Aviva is a world-renowned midwife and herbalist who's also a Yale-trained MD and board-certified family physician with specialties in integrative gynecology, obstetrics, and pediatrics. Her New York Times best-selling Hormone Intelligence book explores the impact of the world we live in on women's hormones and health, invites women into a whole new conversation about our hormones, bodies, and health, and brings us a new medicine for women that is at once holistic and natural, while being grounded in the best science and medicine has to offer. She's also the mom of four and a grandma of two. Welcome. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me on the show. When people read my bio though, I'm like, oh my gosh, that woman needs to take a break. She's. <laughs> I was gonna say that's a pretty extensive resume and I do have some questions about that. But before we get started, I want to ask what's your biggest mom win or grandma win, whatever you wanna say, of the week? Oh, of the week. Oh gosh, that's a big one. Okay, so my oldest daughter, who's my second child said recently, mom, your powers of transformation are so incredible. And she was talking about just changes in my value system, not my values, but like how I approach the world and how I communicate and like just shifts from whenever to now. And it was really beautiful. The way she said it It was a real acknowledgement of like, mom, you're a person and you're really cool. Wow. Oh, and give uh, the audience a little bit of context. How old, or you don't have to say the age, are your children, but like what range are your children and grandchildren? 36 down to 28 for my kids. I have a boy and three girls and then 10 and seven for my grandkids. And I have two God babies too. I have three God babies actually. And by the way, you don't look a day over 40. So when I heard that, I was like, (laughs) wait, what? She's a grandma. I love hearing that. I love hearing it. We'll have to get your secrets. When I was in my like 30s, I I got carded when I was with my kid once in my 20s. I went to a liquor store to buy alcohol for making tinctures and I got carded. I'm like, this is my child. And they're like, well, you could be babysitting. And of course I had two braids. (laughs) And then in medical training, because I already had kids when I was in medical school, I get asked out by residents and stuff. And I would say, oh, I have a kid who's 20. And they're like, you mean 20 months, right? I'm like, no, 20. And they would be like, shut the up. Okay, so but rewind a second 55, here. Now I like hearing you look. Young. So you had four kids in med school. And then I read or heard somewhere that you yeah. actually started college when you were 15. I did. I grew up in a housing project in New York City. And I was a really science and word precocious kid. And 
my ticket out of being in a housing project and also a two hour each way almost commute from home to high school in the city, I applied to college. And long story short, I applied to Johns Hopkins and asked them if they would just take me right into the medical school. I was 14 at the time when I applied. You've been Doogie Hauser. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Before Doogie existed. And I actually got an, e- I got a letter back. I mean, this was like when you had to put a letter in an envelope, lick the envelope, put a stamp on it and send it. Someone actually from Hopkins wrote me back and said, well, we can't do that. You're too young and you have to go to college first. But there's this school called Simon's Rock, which is part of Bard College that takes young, they called it gifted, but you know academically capable or artistically capable kids. And I got a scholarship and I went, so yeah, I went to college when I was 15. And then, um, when I was 16, I actually left because I found this whole, I was going to do pre-meds. And then I found this whole thing that I loved, which was midwifery and herbal medicine and this natural lifestyle. And this was back in 1981. So my family, actually, my grandmother, my mother thought I had joined a cult because I went vegetarian. I'm like, no, I didn't join a cult. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And then circling back around when I was 30, 30, uh, how old was I? 39 when I went to medical school. And so I had to go back because I had gone to high school only till I was 15. Then I did that year of college and then left and then had to go back and do a GED, prereqs, everything. What made you go back to med school? I mean, you went down this route. You had, you know, actually gone down into midwifery and all of that. What made you go back to med school? And at the time, you said you had four children. I mean, to the women out there in like, you know, 2022 who might even have one kid, the thought of med school seems like the craziest idea. Yeah, this is a conversation we we can and should definitely have because it's it's intense and I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. And And yeah, nonetheless, it was like you didn't just pick like, you know. (laughs) Well, there's an explanation to that too. But yeah, so why I went back, why I went is at the time I was living in Atlanta. I had spent a lot, but not all of my midwifery career in Atlanta and midwifery, home birth midwifery was still illegal. Midwives could get arrested and go to jail. Home birth families. There was a home birth family that actually did family bed, which now it's like, just, you know, the hip Brooklyn or whatever thing, you know, LA, whatever, California didn't do. I did it in Atlanta, but there was a family that was actually reported by their neighbors for child abuse because they did a family bed, which was considered, you know, just inappropriate. So we're talking about a day also when antibiotics were being prescribed for every symptom that your child had. And literally you could go to the pediatrician and your kid could have a little cold and an ear infection. The pediatrician would recommend prescribe an antibiotic and you would question it. And the pediatrician said, well, do you want your child to go deaf or die? And this was really common. And this was before the term antibiotic resistance became a thing. And until COVID, antibiotic resistance was actually the single largest global public health issue we were all facing. So for me, the other thing was if you were in a state where midwifery wasn't legal, uh, and even if you were in a state where home birth midwives were legal, if you had to transfer to the hospital, the home birth and sort of more air quotes here, natural birth movement was so polarized by the medical model that if you went into the hospital, 
you were treated even worse often if you were coming with a transport because you were just treated as irresponsible, negligent. People had social services called on them for that. So I wanted to be a bridge to those people who were looking for something different, but may need to enter the medical model and have a safe landing there. And I also realized I couldn't fully change the medical model to the extent that I wanted to systemically and culturally without speaking that language, but also being recognized as like part of the tribe, if you will, and, or part of the brotherhood. What was it? One of the, one of my women friends who's a physician, when I went to medical school, she said, she gave me a big hug and she said, welcome to the fraternity. And it really, (laughs) even with more women in medicine now, half in primary care specialties, it's still very much like that in so many places. So for me, it was just about making change. And another factor is that I am the first woman in my family to go to college, to have a profession like that. And I wanted to give that legacy to my kids. Now, so going how to medical old, school, I was going to say, how yeah. old was your oldest and youngest when you went to medical school? And how was the process getting in, even like making that mental shift? Like, what yeah. did your family structure look like at the time? Because I would assume you would need a lot of support. Yeah. So, one, I was homeschooling my kids and my oldest, my son was 17. And funny side story is that he was in college. He had been homeschooled until 17 and then went to college. And I was in my prereqs post-bac for medical school. So we decided to do a year of physics together in the same class. I bumped over to his school for that one class and it was hilarious and amazing. And we had so much fun and it was a, like just a joy to share that. But th- by the time I went to medical school, my oldest was in college and my youngest was around nine. And it was really, really hard. We moved to another state where we didn't have family or friends. And my my husband, my primary, we've been together for 38 years now. He was the support person. So he had segued his career to work with me from home and he became the primary home parent. So like, I remember wow. coming in from medical classes one day and one of the girls was, didn't know I had walked in the door and had called out, dad, when you go shopping, can you get some tampons? And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but you know, it was hard on so many levels. One, the process of getting ready to go for me on an individual personal level as a woman, human with an intellect and goals and dreams was phenomenal. I mean, I was learning everything that I wanted that was putting all the pieces together for me about midwifery and herbal medicine and health and medical school was the most incredible four-year experience of my life. I mean, in terms of any education as a mom, I had constant guilt. First of all, my mom was a single mom and she worked two jobs. So I already like had to unpack issues around going from being a homeschooling mom and like over parenting to now making this huge shift. But I kept not justifying it, but like reassuring myself that there was value in it, that I was also doing something really important for my family, which was creating this new sense of possibility of what you could do. And showing your daughters that exactly, like it doesn't matter what age, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. If you're passionate about something, you should go for it. Exactly. And it's interesting because 
when my husband was in graduate school, he went to a school called Atlanta University, which is a historically black college. And there were several women who actually were living in Atlanta in school, getting their graduate education from a few different countries in Africa. And there was this one woman, Josephine Malachwa, who if she hears this, she's probably going to be, I cannot believe she remembers my name, but she was from Swaziland. And she had three or four or five kids. And she actually moved to the US for two years to do her doctorate in education and left her kids back in wow. Swazi with her sister to raise them. And then I heard another story of a First Nations woman. I think she was Lakota, but she had four kids and she had to, there was no medical school in South Dakota. She had to travel two states. So she was living all week at medical school then coming home on the weekends. And then when she was in residency, she was just basically. Right. Like, how do you do wet residency with kids? And the thing is, what I have come to understand is that how we communicate this to our children is very culturally unique. And so for me, particularly as a white hippie attachment parent, home birth mom, I had a huge amount of guilt and a huge amount of also judgment from people who were in my close community who were from that background compared to one of my best friends who happens to be an African-American mom and a midwife whose mom was a primary income provider. And she at the time was a primary income provider who was like, Aviva, mom, you know, black women around the world. And I'm not like trying to romanticize, but she said, it's just like, you're coming from a cultural perspective where you have an idea of how it should be. But in my community, it's a lot of the moms that are working and we teach our kids to respect that. And so it was just really interesting. And I like, I hope I'm not crossing any lines of what is appropriate. This is just what the stories that I was shared with that was my frame of reference, comparing like what my own inner guilt was about attachment parenting to the cultural insights I was getting from women from different cultures that were very different. So it was hard. And then I would say also because my kids were, had been sort of trained by me to expect mom to be there full time. The, that gap was really hard. So they did, they've had a lot, we've had a lot of work in the subsequent 15, 18 years to unpack (laughs) some of the resentments and the experience that they had. So, you know, when women say, write me as I'm going to medical school, I'm like, we should talk, you know, just so you know what you're really getting into, because you, you may have a rotation that puts you on call on your child's birthday and you just can't go to your child's birthday. And so, and you know, healthcare workers know that, you know, nurses. And after the last two years, I think families have definitely felt that. Any advice you would give to those women looking back to go back to school for anything, whether it's med school or, you know, with children, you know, any advice you would give them? I think it's really important to follow your dream and follow your passion. And there's never a better time. I think that as moms, when we are truly tending to our own personal, intellectual, spiritual, emotional growth and doing the things that make us sing and fly and happy, that is a powerful gift to give our kids and to do it without guilt, to create great support networks, be mindful of, you know, the support that you do have. Think about how you're going to create seamless 
transitions to the extent that you can for your kids. Like we went from homeschooling to still homeschooling to kids going to school. In retrospect, I would have foreseen that transition a little bit better and matriculated my kids in school a couple of years, even before. So they were accustomed to that, or maybe even moved before to where I was going to go to medical school. So we already had a support network, but I really think there's no one right time. You know, when my kids were little, little, I waited because I wanted to be there when they were little, little, but when they were tweens and teens, especially with the girls, that's when they were mad that I wasn't there. And if you, anyone who's listening, who has teens and tweens, they know that they don't want you there most of the time, but when they do want you there, they do. And if you're not, then you're going to really hear about it. So looking at what, what you can create as a network, how you can communicate what you're doing to your kid, to them, explain to them why you're doing it and invite them in whenever you can. In hindsight, do you think it made you a better mom? Um, in hindsight, I don't think it made me a better mom. No, I think I was already a good mom and now I'm just a good mom with a different perspective and a lot more skills and experience. I think it just made me a more fulfilled person. I loved, I loved, I I'm one of these people. I just loved when my kids were little, I loved all their stages, but there was something inside me that felt like there was more that I needed to do. And so I hope in the long run, you know, my son, for example, he ended up going on to create a healthcare system, an actual healthcare system that now serves over a hundred thousand people in underserved communities in multiple states. And when he looks back, he says he was inspired by the early things he saw with me as a home birth midwife and lack of access, especially in certain communities, but then also the power of someone making major choices that can make major change. So I hope that they're able to see it that way, but you just, you never know. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. And then you moved on. So you, you did your residency, you became like an MD. Yeah. What made you then kind of like go back or like when you saw all the world of the MD, were you like, okay, like I'm going to stick to this. Or were you like, wow, like this world is not messed up, but like a lot needs to change. Like, yeah, where did no, you go my, right views, after that? <laughs> my views on going into medicine, my views going into medicine and my views on the other side haven't shifted really about the healthcare system at all. I would say that I have more compassion for the forces that shape physicians to become the kind of practitioners they are, that most people go into medical school really altruistic and wanting to help people. And the system just, it beats the heck out of people. It really does. And my best friend whose kids are my God kids, she's been my best friend for like, you know, week one of medical school. So almost 18 years now, I mean, we still talk about some of the things that we realize we're traumatized by that, like the everyday, like someone writes you a note and says, we need to talk. And you're assuming something horrible happened and you're about to be reprimanded, even though neither one of us was reprimanded in medical school for things. It was just the culture of it. So I have a lot more Grey's Anatomy watching the interns there. (laughs) It's really, there's some, it's just, yeah. And then some of the things that I've actually seen happen in terms of like the endemic racism, sexism to patients is more shocking than I could have ever, ever imagined. On the other hand, I'm really grateful for what I know And there's been one major shift since I went to medical, well, two major shifts. 
one major shift is I think a lot of physicians themselves have gotten so burnt out on the system, but on also their own experiences where they had a medical problem and ended up changing their diet or starting meditation. So there is a slow trickle. I wouldn't say a sea change, but there's definitely a change happening in medicine that is has allowed it to be more expansive. And then the other thing is that when I went to medical school, the wellness movement didn't exist. When I went to medical school, the things I were, was doing were very fringe and very weird. And so now you've got this whole wellness model that is sometimes offering phenomenal information, but sometimes it's really off base or dangerous, even things that I, as an herbalist midwife thought back then weren't really appropriate therapies. Now, anyone with an Instagram feed and a large enough reach can seem like an expert. And so I sometimes strangely find myself not quite in either world, like in the medical world, I'm a bit of an oddity, but in the wellness world, I can also be a bit of an oddity in that I'm a little more I'm a little more of a critical thinker. So I don't just assume that everything that you hear is really true or works. And I like think all, we saw yeah. that with COVID, right? I and mean, when we saw it with COVID, how dangerous it was that some people were promoting therapies, including people in office at times that were promoting therapies that were actually really dangerous and not helpful. And it's interesting. I was reading kind of an article about that in which they were saying like all of the, you would call it the more holistic stuff. They ended up classifying them as a certain almost even political view, which mm-hmm. is interesting just because they didn't believe in say like vaccines or they believe they're right. alternate tra- like treatments. But in a sense, then there are some holistic people saying like, no, we believe in vaccines, but there's other things we can do. It's not black and white. And it's exactly. so interesting to see that. And I feel like everything you're saying is resonating. I come from a background of RNs and doctors who all base, and some of my best friends are ER doctors, you know, pediatricians who are all literally burnt out right now. Like they're so burnt out and it's by the system. They just want to help people and the system is burning them out. But it's interesting because I'm 39 turning 40 this year and I just signed up to do nutrition school or, you know, integrative nutrition, even though nothing to do with my background came from a male dominated finance world. And I just see it. And it's like, it's ingrained in me. And so I'm asking you these things as like personal advice. I'm like, okay, so I want to know how is going back to school with kids? And and I think nutrition school, I mean, nobody's going to tell you, you can't go to a birthday party. I, you know, I just loved it. I felt for me, it just fed my curiosity. It was incredibly wonderful. And I do think I bring that, but I had that before. I mean, I wrote books before I went to medical school. I was always reading. And so it's kind of just who I am. And it was just sort of the next continuity, but I think being fulfilled as a mom is really important. You know, one of the things that I've really been exploring lately as a mom of grown children is, and I think this is partly from my own background. In so many ways, I had a close-knit family. My mom's parents were very involved in my life. We had a lot of extended cousins on my mom's side. So I was very, it was very supported. But then I also had, you know, the economic instability and the social instability of living in a housing project, having a single mom in the late 60s, early 70s, which was very weird back then. And a mom who worked two jobs. So I was a latchkey kid from the time I was eight. And so I really wanted to do something very different with my kids. And 
I think that for me right now, I, I think that as a mom who especially leaned into like extended breastfeeding and home birth and family bed and all the things, I took so much responsibility on myself for my kids' outcomes. So if one of my kids got sick in my mind, oh, maybe I was like not feeding them the right healthy diet or, you know, like all those kinds of very- Like you took it upon yourself, like it was your job to fix it and or it was your job or your responsibility if they came out a certain way. Hello, Dr. Freud, how did you get into (laughs) my head? Because I'm a feminist on every other level, but as a mom, I wasn't a helicopter mom, but I was a very much like an overparenting mom. And so now that my kids are grown and they all have their like wonderful lives and their own creative selves and the things they do, they have their very, you know, beautiful and loving views of me and they have their critical views of me. And I still find that I take too personally, like I've over, I've put too much weight in my identity as a mom compared to the right I have to put weight on my identity as a doctor or a writer. So like last year, my book came out, Hormone Intelligence, and we were on seven bestseller lists, like number three on the New York Times bestseller list. And I created the entire campaign. We didn't pay, you know, at high ad spend. We didn't do affiliates. It was all organic in my community and extended community of people who bought like online community. But then one of my kids was going through a really hard time and was really resentful about to me about it. And it was like the New York Times bestseller was on a zero of scale of importance. And my kids issue with me was on a scale of one to on like on a 10 of how I took it personally. And so I think for me, one piece of advice that I would really love to share with mamas at any stage. And for you, as you go back, there may be moments where your kid says, you're never playing with me. You're, you know, like you're, you're reading all the time or, you know, we're having the same thing for dinner, three nights, whatever it is. Not to, I'm sure your kids don't sound like that either, but to know that you have the right to do that and that our kids are their own individuals as well. Like not everything we do is going to shape their outcome. You can't, there's no recipe for the perfect kid outcome. And we just do our best. And in that also, your kids are eventually going to grow up and leave home and they want you to have your own adult life. Right. They want to look at you as a fulfilled adult woman. And if your entire fulfillment is based on their happiness, their outcomes, how much they're in touch with you, how much they visit you, whatever, it's it puts too much demand and it's an unhealthy way to right. go about that parent-child relationship. Because so I think it's also, really important. once they're gone, you only have yourself. So it's yep. like, you know, you can't place your happiness in other people. You said something interesting. You kept saying identity, my identity yeah. in this. I like to call it as a role, not an yep. identity because your identity, you are an author, you are a mom, you're all of those things, but it's the role that you're playing in that yep. moment. And I think for me, that has helped me separate in the guilt part. Like my identity, I am a mom, but I'm not always a mom. I'm not a and mom not to my husband. Mom, right? I'm like, not, you're only, not a mom. only a mom. Exactly. Yeah. And so I love like, I love though how you said identity because I was like, wait, no, it's actually just a role you're playing like in, yeah. in the bigger things. But so on that note, I wanted to switch gears and talk a little bit about, you know, your hormone stuff, because how did you get like, so you went down this path, you know, I know like hormones are involved in 
in birth and all of that. But like, how did you specifically transition after your MD and really going into everything about women's health? And, you know, you were describing going to med school in the time where antibiotics and all that. And I look at my history. I'm the I'm literally that child. I'm the child born in 1982. I had Anytime I had a sniffle, quote, I had an ear infection. I had something. I had so much amoxicillin in my lifetime. I'm literally immune. I cannot take it. I had to go cold turkey. I have to tough it out anytime I have a sinus infection, which then led to when I was 16, not getting my period yet. What did they do? They prescribed me birth control got birth control in order to get a period, had that because I was a dancer, I was a cheerleader, you know, your body just naturally doesn't get it. Flash forward to when I'm going to get pregnant. I was misdiagnosed with PCOS Mm -hmm. because I had irregular periods because once you get off birth control, your body has no idea what to do. And so I feel like I'm the poster child for like everything done wrong in the 80s and 90s (laughs) for like hormones. You have answered yeah. your own question to me. Why did I go down that road? <laughs> you are exactly why. And the bazillion other women who have shared similar stories. So I was before med school, obviously as a midwife, I took care of women. And then also often I would do some just kind of general light pediatric support as an herbalist. So, you know, the mom who didn't want to just do the ear infection route conventionally, you know, I'd work with a pediatrician and we would do some natural approaches, you know, the uh, garlic mullet eardrops and echinacea and all of that. And when I went to medical school, of course, I learned all the body parts, male and female. In fact, it was hilarious. We had the way you do a lot of your physical exam training is in these simulated patient settings. And so we all had to learn how to do a prostate exam. And so there were five of us and one patient And this is how it works. Somebody signs up, they get paid to do it. And we all have our gloves on. And it was like a comedy routine because I was sitting at the end of the row of five and the, the preceptor, the doctor said, so who's going, who's going first. And all four heads turned to me. It was like (laughs) synchronized swimming or something. And I was like, dudes, I do pelvic. (laughs) Yeah. Like this, but they, they had me go first anyway, but it was just so funny. When I got out of medical training and worked in a practice for two years, I did do women's health and men's health. And I just felt like for me, I like the women's stuff better. I didn't find that there were like the psychosexual power dynamics that sometimes come in with men and women, even when you're a doctor, but more than anything, quite honestly, it felt like such a natural extension of my midwifery work. It's what my passion was. And I wanted to be able to know more about less and not feel like I had to keep up. I didn't want to take care of prostates or know about them anymore. It was like, I didn't, I don't need to do that. Someone else can do that. And so I really just honed in my work around everything from fertility and conception, continued the you know pregnancy postpartum. I wasn't attending births anymore, except of you know occasionally friends and um, my grandkids. But so many women were coming in with misdiagnosed or undiagnosed or overdiagnosed thyroid problems, exhausted and being told they had something called adrenal fatigue, which isn't. I was told real- that by the way. I, yeah, and it's just not last real... year I was told I had adrenal fatigue and I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. And it's not a real condition. Okay. But the thing is like, 
you've got the wellness people saying you've got adrenal fatigue, which isn't a real condition. And then you've got the medical people saying, oh, it's just stress, deal with it or meditate. And there's a truth. Or like you have a thyroid imbalance, but they can't really just take some medicine for it. Yeah. There's a truth that's in between. And that's the place that I live is in that place in between that bridge. And then just the incredible numbers of women that I was seeing in practice, but then also as my online platform grew and grew and grew, now we're amplifying it, you know, the tens, twenties, hundreds of women I'm seeing in my practice to the tens, twenties, hundreds of thousands of women who are in touch with me, who are struggling with very similar stories to yours. In fact, almost identical at times to any number of different stories from the woman who spent years thinking that periods from hell were normal because her mother had periods from hell until she was in her twenties and got diagnosed with endometriosis and had been just, you know, dismissed and put on the pill and ibuprofen and more pain medication by her doctors to the 50 something year old woman who had perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms, who went to an integrative doctor who got put on put her on bioidentical hormones. And she ended up with uterine bleeding and a question of uterine cancer. And it was really just the inappropriate use of hormones. So all of that, all of it just was like, all right, I'm going to focus in on this. So I started with a focus in on adrenal and thyroid, partly to help set the adrenal story straight. And partly because I was seeing so many women in my practice who were struggling with thyroid problems. And then that was a natural segue into a book on endometriosis, PCOS, fertility, all the challenges, but not just looking them at them from the name of the condition, but to what are the common factors that are affecting all of us as women or people in female bodies that can lead to these conditions becoming part of who we are. So I want to jump into that bridge you sit in and speak specifically to a lot of the women who listen to this are moms of say like younger children to teens, but like most of the women here are moms. I mean, it's a mom podcast and a lot of us have dealt with postpartum issues, things that have happened since we've had babies. Like for example, after my third C-section, one year later, I randomly had ovarian cysts that were actually mucinic cystic adenomas and they were tumors. And now They just discovered another one that's seven centimeters in me. And it's like Mm. these things that didn't happen before kids or even after my first kid are happening now. A lot of my friends are having the worst periods of their life right now and had never had that before. So I wanted to like ask you about that because as a like, you know, mom of younger kids, I'm seeing this more and more in my friends group which means we're in our late 30s, early 40s, this sort of age range built from the 80s, you know, my story to now. What are you like, any advice or any tips that like we should be looking for, things that we should adjust in order to just generically speaking, maybe help with some of these? Because I mean, a lot of us were on birth control for years, so we don't actually even know what a real period is. Like, what are we missing? (laughs) Well, I think also... As much as we like to think of ourselves as ageless and ever young and late thirties and early forties is really young, our bodies at that stage do start to go into some shifts toward perimenopause. So menopause on average happens at age 52 internationally, but the perimenopause can start eight years before that. So for women who are in their early forties, it may be that you have several things going on at once, you're breastfeeding, you're running around like a maniac with little kids, 
and your body too much also, caffeine overstimulating yeah, all the things right all the things and then at the same at all the you know too much caffeine in the day and then the two glasses of wine at night because you deserve it right and then you're having trouble sleeping and maybe eating you know chicken nuggets even if they're organic kind for lunch or dinner it's like all the all the ways we are when we have young children with very little time for attention to ourselves. And if for some women concurrently, their bodies are starting to make that shift into that next phase, that's a lot going on hormonally. So I think a few different things that we can do. One is, I know it sounds so much easier than it is to do, but truly slowing down a little more. And I can say in retrospect, again, just repeating that there's no one recipe for the perfect kid. There's no such thing as a perfect kid. There's no such thing as a perfect adult. And we do such a disservice to our kids by even thinking that way. It's just setting them up for constant emotional failure. But all the things that we think, you know, the piano and the soccer and the swim, like all at once, I don't think it actually benefits most of them. So figuring out like, what can you scale back a little bit on and and still meet your kids' passions and get them exposed to different things. And if you have three different kids, I, do. I mean, I know that's like I had four. <laughs> yes. I mean, we had the horseback riding and the piano lessons and the singing lessons and the violin. It's a lot. And I think those things can be really important, but we can overdo it. And so are there things that we can pare back? How can we make sure that we're not just eating the chicken nuggets and the odios, you know, for breakfast and lunch that we're actually making meals and eating but also sitting down and chewing. Are we getting sleep? And if we're not getting sleep, how can we sleep trade with our partners if you have a partner? If you don't have a partner, can you do spend the nights with another mama and sleep trade? You know, what what can you do really creatively? And then the other, you know, sort of simple things, make sure you're getting enough green vegetables. Are you still taking a multivitamin? We take prenatal vitamins and we take postpartum vitamins while we're breastfeeding or usually the same prenatal into the postpartum, but are you still taking a multi? Because if you are eating that kid snack food all the time, are you actually getting nourished? And then are you taking the time to do things that are just for yourself? Now let's add on to that. The fact that the whole reason I wrote hormone intelligence, for example, is the fact that even when we do a lot of those things, we're also being exposed to an incredible amount of light pollution, environmental pollution, whole, all kinds of levels of stress. So looking at what you can really do to unpack what's going on for you, that's adding burden, you know, what's, what, what, where are you carrying too much luggage emotionally or from the environment that you can start to say, all right, I'm going to carry a little bit lighter load. I am going to sleep a little more. I am going to stress a little less. I am going to take that prenatal vitamin. I'm going to learn about what household products I'm using that may actually be affecting my hormones, but pace it out. You don't have to do it all at once because sometimes wellness can be another major thing on our to-do list. It's like almost drinking from a fire hose too, because again, like you mentioned, social media has overcome everything and you see everybody is a wellness expert and they're all preaching different things. It's like, you know, everything from the stuff that is good, like non-toxic makeup or things that you put on your body, lotions and stuff to like every household products, but it can get overwhelming where it's like, oh my goodness, I can't leave like 
a bubble or else I'm going to, you know, yeah, no, it's like, got to throw away everything. Like I can't put on normal clothes. I can't shop here. Like it gets yeah. overwhelming when you also then have little humans you're taking care of. Totally. And the other thing too, I had one of my patients, she had just had her fourth baby like six months prior and we were having a teleconference appointment and she got on the phone and she was in tears and, you know, like, like it took her a minute and I was like, all right, what's going on? And she said, I was just on social media this morning and there's a mom with four kids and all of her kids look perfect. And, you know, they're all in their little white shirts and their little cute shorts and they're all like matchy matchy. And her house is all like black, white, and wood scandy and it's perfect. And she has like the most beautiful this and the most, I was like, okay, first of all, let's, I'm going to go look at who you're talking about because I want to like give you a perspective on this. And so I, I, I showed her, first of all, like how curated it all is and also explained to her that her kids were actually involved in child labor and that child labor, labor laws for clickbait social media had not been established, but that she, I later found out with someone who got set, each of her kids would get several thousand dollars a post because every post was an ad, right? Right. It's all so sponsored. I explained to her like, <laughs> this is all sponsored. She's got somebody who has just curated her house, curated her clothes, curated her kids. And it doesn't mean that she's not that together. But it's her job. It's actually her job. And it's probably not like that behind the scenes. And, you know, there are all kinds of people that we can look at who on the surface have this perfect life only a, a year later for their entire empire to be falling apart and then getting divorced publicly. This happens, right? I was like going to say, people... I think I know exactly who you're talking about on there that one. Many, I'm just kidding, but, but yeah, there's one yeah. I have in mind. There's one but, that I have. Yeah. Yeah. So right. not to I believe that, the Instagram, what you yeah, see. We can't judge our insides by other people's outsides. And the stress or our that outsides. brings on. Yeah. And, you know, you just never know. You, it, the funny thing about me being in a doctor in this space is sometimes some of those kinds of people are my patients and they're like, they're on antidepressants and they're on anti-anxiety medications. And it's like, I often wish that those people would just say that because I think it would make everybody else just exhale. Yes. I went to the park one day, my kids, I had just the two kids at the time and I was pregnant with the third. So the kids were six and wait, they were yeah, six and three. And I was pregnant and we were getting ready to go out for a play date with the homeschool families at the park. And I was, you know, like the proverbial trying to get the kids to get their <laughs> shoes on. Yes. And I was really hormonal and I had a Tupperware in my hand back in the days when I still would actually use a plastic Tupperware. Cause that is one thing I really do not use plastic containers for food storage, but I just had the Tupperware in my hand and I, it was empty. And I just remember throwing it really hard at the ground and it bounced up and almost went to the ceiling. And the kids, I was like, get your stuff together or we're not going to the park. And I just lost it. And I threw it at the ground and it bounced up and the kids' faces were just like, <laughs> their, their jaws dropped, you know, they'd never seen me lose it like that. And it was really funny because I got to the park and there I was like the home birth hippie midwife mama. And one of the mom, we were sitting in a circle, the kids were playing. And one of the moms said, how's your, how was your morning? You know? And, and she looked at me and I said, well, after I screamed at my kids and threw the Tupperware and we finally got here, it was great. <laughs> and it was like all the truth talking started happening. And one mom said, well, that's not so bad. I actually threw the laundry down the stairs the other day. And that was after I threw the divorce at my husband. <laughs> <laughs> 
I still remember that. And I think we have to just get real about it. Yeah. All of that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we wrap it up, I do want to touch on a couple things just again along the lines of, you know, postpartum and things. We talked kind of like generically about we should be eating our leafy greens or things like that. Are there any like, say, if I was to go home and pick three things I can do today, what should they be to maybe start? besides like, you know, maybe detoxing from social media or like the stress, but like any tangible things that you like help your patients with or prescribe or, you know, not prescribe, but like send to the store to get or things in their house to remove. Like what are some, like maybe three things that we can do today to get us going? Besides buying your book too. (laughs) You don't have to do that. You can get lots of stuff on my social, on my socials and my website, but yeah, get the book too. It's great. Thank you. I would say one is probably going to make me really unpopular, but I think it's so underemphasized. And that is 86ing the alcohol. Once you get to be about 38, I would say, maybe even a little before, a lot of women start to notice that the alcohol tolerance they had in their 20s may feel (laughs) good while you're drinking it, but then you just never sleep that as well that night. You may fall asleep fine. You wake up you're irritable, you're emotional. And so really leaning into other beverages, whether it is like an apple cider switchel or tea, you know, if you really want to drink, keep it to something like vodka or tequila, like the white, like the white alcohols and once a week and one drink, because it sets our hormones off. We know that it's an estrogen disruptor, We know that alcohol increases our breast cancer risk. It's one of the only substances that we can actually say is proven to increase breast cancer risk. It's just like a bottom line. And it makes us feel bad ultimately past a certain age. Another thing that is along those lines, so I would say number two is, and I'm always having to remind myself this, hence the tea in my hand, is to stay hydrated. So dehydration or just what's called hypohydration. So you're not technically dehydrated, but you're just not drinking enough fluids can lead to irritability, fatigue, headache, increased menstrual and endometriosis pain and brain fog. So, you know, that mommy brain, sometimes we just need to actually hydrate more. So making sure you stay hydrated, whether that is having your own personal glass bottle of water that you make sure you finish by the end of the day or a pitcher that you finish, fill up again and finish, but however you do it. And then the third thing I would say is find that balance between that second wind that we often get after the kids go to bed and staying up way too late. Oh, I'm so I guilty that. of that. I'm a, I love that. I know. And I think that we we need it. So how can we set either healthier bedtime boundaries with our kids where at a certain age they know that it's time they if they're even if they're not going to sleep, like they're in their room or they're in their bed and it's mommy time. So that instead of waiting till 9:30 or 10 o'clock to start getting mommy time and now you're up till one, how can you pull that back a little bit. And again, you know, partner swapping is one way to do it. Do you have a nighttime routine or a morning routine in that? I do. And even when my kids were little, I mean, obviously when they're breastfeeding and they're waking up, I have one, my youngest who's now just about to turn 28 next week. She knew that if she would stay in the room with me at night and was quiet reading a book, I wouldn't mind if I was reading or doing something. So one time when she was, she was like two years old, she was in my bed while I was sitting on a chair in my room. And she was like, I'm reading a book. 
but she had the book upside down and backwards. It was just like, <laughs> she just wanted to hang out with me. But yeah, um, for me, I'm, and we don't, I'm, sometimes we get into the Netflix series too and end up staying, like watching it to the last minute. But we try to hit pause about 10 and read. And I don't use a Kindle or anything like that. I use, I read real books. So for me, I like to have a good 30 minutes before bed where I'm reading, you know, after all the teeth brushing and all that stuff. Um, and then I like to do a little meditation, just a little breathing, deep breathing meditation to help me fall asleep. Although sometimes just reading, I'll fall asleep in the morning. And I really try to stay off of screens in that hour off of bed, like before bed, social media, all of that. And then ditto in the morning. I try to have a slower waking time. And even when the kids were little, I would try to wake up a little bit before them just to have that slow start to the day, just a few minutes of breathing, getting a tea, and then they wake up. But then of course, sometimes they would wake up before me and wake me up. And then again, no screens early in the morning. I really try to stay off of what I call other people's agenda, You know, whether that's social media or my email first thing in the morning where I'm already getting stressed before my day has started on the to-do list or the FOMO or whatever it is. I didn't used to drink coffee. I started drinking coffee in residency. And now my morning is usually some kind of movement or journaling. And then coffee, a little chat with my partner because we both work from home and then getting our workday started. Well, it's good to know you drink coffee. Makes me feel a little better. Since every like wellness person's like, oh no, only drink tea. Like coffee's bad. Well, I I don't think coffee's bad. I mean, I think it's important to get good quality coffee so you're not getting all kinds of, you know, solvents and stuff. But and I I need to drink decaf. Caffeine is really very stimulating for me. So sometimes I'll have just decaf or I'll have decaf and like a third of calf. My husband drinks the calf. So I'm not opposed to coffee. And particularly the only times I say coffee would be bad for someone, so to speak, is if they have a lot of cyclic breast tenderness premenstrually or a lot of PMS. And interestingly, the data is not there from a, a scientific perspective, but a, enough women report it. So if you're having menstrual cycle or hormonal problems, take a break off of coffee for a couple of months and see how it is. And if you're having sleep problems, then coffee is not yes. your best friend. So if you're having sleep problems and you really love the coffee, keep it to a decaf, keep it to one and keep it to before 11 in the morning. Awesome. Well, to and have things- it with food. <laughs> oh yes. With food. Well, to wrap things up, I wanted to ask my final question, which is what do you think is your mom's superpower or your superpower that you gained once you became a mom that makes you better in either business or life? Oh, I'm fierce. I am like a fierce protector of the people around me. So you definitely want me to do things like birth advocate or negotiate. (laughs) I'm really fierce about speaking my truth, protecting the people I love. And I think that's probably, probably a big one. Beautiful. And where can we find you online? You can go to Dr. Aviva Ram on Instagram. You can go to Aviva Ram on Facebook or just avivaram.com for my website. Yeah. And your blog has amazing things. I've sent your PCOS diet and your PCOS articles to so many friends and Aww. and your Hashimoto stuff. I have a couple thank friends with you. it. So thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time.